Standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions. Good morning. It's good to see all your happy, uh, smiling faces this morning and to see each of you here. We also want to welcome those who will be able to, not only our group here, I'm referring to the group that's here in Rossi, uh, Pioneer Mission, but all those who will be able to watch this as it's being recorded throughout the world due to the uh, technology available to us so that anyone who has an internet connection can also join us on the Sabbath morning. Sounds like we got a little bit of a whistle. And I didn't think I was whistling. So we're happy that uh, all of us can be here together this morning on Sabbath to worship God. And this morning, I'm going to be talking about a subject that is very dear to my heart, the love of God. And uh, specifically, how it is that our love is made perfect. This scripture reading that uh, starts out here in Is Our Love Made Perfect? Is, raises a question in my mind this, that I just stated. So this morning I want to explore how it is that our love is made perfect. In Romans eight twenty eight we read, and we know that all things, how many? Work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So this states that all things work together for good. What does it mean? We think we know what it means to love God. I'm sure we do. But what does it mean to love God? Yes. And that's what we read right here in John 14, 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. So... We often think that we know what it means to love God, but this is what it truly means to love God. Keep my commandments. You know, you can combine these two texts, and it gives you a different sense of what's being said here. And what you could truly say is, and we know that all things work together for good to them that keep my commandments. So, this promise does not apply to someone who doesn't keep God's commandments, does it? All things work together for good to them that love God. And oftentimes, we don't even think about that as being the need to obey God's com- all God's commandments in order to claim this promise. We just think if we say, I love God, or I love Jesus, And we don't think too much about what it means to say that. 
This one is a little bit more to the point, very pointed actually. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a what? If you're a liar, are you keeping the commandments? No. And the truth is not in him. What is the truth about who God is? We know what that is, right? It's that God gave his only begotten son. He, he is the one true God. So if we know him or say we know him and keep not his commandments, not only are we a liar, but the truth about who God is is not in us. We just say we know it. It's a farce. It's a lie unless we're obeying all his commandments. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. So how is it that the love of God is perfected? By keeping all his commandments, absolutely. So we could say, based on these scriptures, that the love of God is perfected in all those that obey God's commandments continuously, right? Question, did Christ, while here on this earth, ever sin? How do we know that? You know the scripture? Here it is. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. What does that tell us? Yes. How did he do it? Okay. What about the part that he was in all points tempted like as we are? How, how was it that he was tempted like as we are? What, what happened so that he could be tempted like as we are? Do you know? He was human. He was, he took, he was human. That's right. He took our fallen human nature, did he not? The same nature that you and I have, the same nature that we have to live our life and face temptation, he took it. This is very important, too, because if he didn't, if he didn't take our fallen human nature, if he wasn't tempted in all points like as we are, then would we have an excuse Yes, we would have an excuse if he wasn't tempted in all points like as we are. So he came, he risked all, he faced the same temptations, and yet he did it the same way we did. He was successful, was he not? He did, he, we did not succumb, yet without sin. 
If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. How did he keep his Father's commandments? By abiding in his love. And what does it mean to abide in his love? What did we just talk about and learn? Keeping his commandments. It's, it's very important that we realize this. Uh, you know, it sounds nice. He abided in his love. What, you know, what does that mean? But what we're learning is that abiding in his love means obeying all his commandments continuously all the time, which is what Christ did. He never once went outside of his Father's will for him. Can we say that? Of course not. Of course not. But we're going to learn more. So what we've learned is that abiding in the Father's love is the equivalent of continuous obedience to all God's commandments. And he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. This is how Christ abided in his Father's love. He always did. He always obeyed. He never once ever slipped up. And yet he did it the same way that we do it. So now what we want to learn here is how was it that he did that? Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. How was it? Who is the prince of the world? Good. How was it that he had nothing in Christ? Good, good, good. Christ had never sinned. Therefore, Satan had, couldn't, point, couldn't press his button. Have you ever heard the term press someone's button? which means you know something about that person, right? And you know that if you, theoretically, you know, the, it's not real. You don't, there's not a button, but you, you <laughs> and sometimes maybe it feels like there's a real button, but in any case, um, you, nice, thank you. You, you go to them and, and you just start, Working this one little thing that you know is going to get to them, and eventually they're going to lose it and get, you know. So, the prince of this world cometh, and when he came to Christ, he could find nothing by which he could gain an advantage. But when he comes to us, what about that? Can any of us say that? He always finds at least one button. Usually it's multiple ones. And oh, does he work them. And oftentimes he uses those around us to do it. We often unwittingly become dupes of Satan to tempt those that we have contact with. So what we want to know Well, there's the rest of this here, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so do I. Again, it's reiterating this, that 
the loving the Father is obedience to the commandments and Christ says that's what I do so what we want to know is understand how this obedience how this obedience is connected to love for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous so here it's stated very plainly the love of God is that we keep his commandments so if we say that we love God and we're not keeping his commandments we know what that was we already been there he were a liar and the truth is not in us so it's important to understand this and herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world how was it that Christ was he was tempted no points like as we are yet without sin that's how we are to be that's the only way that we can have boldness in the day of judgment what do you think it means to have boldness in the day of judgment Okay, boldness in the day of judgment as best I can understand it is when you have perfect love perfect obedience if you've done everything that's right and that you're hauled into court and you're accused if you're innocent should you be afraid you shouldn't be but if you're guilty that's another thing are we all guilty of sinning yes. we are we definitely are but there is no fear in love there is no fear in perfect obedience you don't have to be afraid of the officer when he stops you if you know you weren't speeding but you're going to ask him why did you stop me I know I wasn't speeding and he'll say well I noticed that one of your taillights isn't working <laughs> or something to that effect and you're like oh, I was afraid maybe I was speeding but I was quite sure I wasn't so would, can we say that perfect love is the same as perfect obedience if we say that we love God if we claim that he loves us that requires perfect obedience otherwise we're a liar and the truth is not in us and you don't want to be called before the judge of the earth and be told that you're a liar. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in perfect obedience. But perfect obedience casteth out fear because fear hath torment. If we're afraid, it's because we're not obeying God's commandments perfectly. So he that feareth, he that is not obedient to all God's commandments continuously, is not made perfect in love. But whoever keeps the, his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. So if we obey all God's commandments, that's when the love of God, which is perfect obedience, is perfected in us. We just need to understand this terminology. It's very important. 
claiming that God loves us and claiming to say God loves us, he loves me so much. You know, we read that, claim that, that one promise, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That claim, that promise is only available to those who obey all God's commandments. Yes, he does love everyone. There's no question. But if we don't obey all his commandments, that love will do us no good. And we're going to see that. If you love me, do what? If you don't keep his commandments, you can talk about loving God. You can talk about loving your neighbor. You can talk about loving. You can talk about anything you want. And it's a lie. It's a lie. We're lying to ourselves and to whoever we're talking to. It's absolutely, absolutely essential that if we claim to love God, that we keep his commandments. Not occasionally. Because that's another thing that Satan tries to fool us. Have you ever heard of sinning and repenting and sinning and repenting and sinning and repenting? That's considered good Christianity by many of the world. But will get you to heaven? No. Not at all. It's perfect obedience, and we're going to see that. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. There it tells you straight up. If you, want to be, if you claim the love of God in your life, if you claim to be loving and kind, then you should be, or you must be. Otherwise, you're lying. You must be obeying all God's commandments. If there's anything in your life you know that you shouldn't be doing, you're lying if you claim to love God. And if you do, there should be proof. It will be evident to others around you, and you will know. Your conscience will remind you. You will be aware. And if you're not aware, we'd better get down on our knees and start praying for awareness to understand this. This is why I'm dealing in detail with this. Because Satan has done his best to hide this from our view so that, we can, so that many of us get sucked into the idea that an occasional sin is no big deal. If an occasional sin was no big deal, why did Christ come to this world to prove that it's possible to be tempted like we are, yet without sin? There would have been no need for him to do that if an occasional sin was okay. And we're going to learn more about that. So, it becomes very clear that here it states, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Perfect love is synonymous with obedience to all of God's law. And perfect obedience is synonymous with perfect love. That's what I've come to the conclusion of from these scriptures. But 
Can we obey all God's commandments? We've agreed. We understand. We've been through these scriptures so far. And it's very clear that if we don't obey all God's commandments, if we, and we still claim to love him, that we're lying. But how is it that we can obey? Can we? Whoever abides in him does not what? Sin. Whoever abides in who? Christ. Does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. In other words, you're lying to yourself if you're still doing anything in your life that you know you shouldn't be doing. So it's extremely important if we're planning and we're wanting to be ready for when Christ comes and to have eternal life to abide in him because only by abiding in him does anyone not sin. So how is it that we do that? Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed, God's seed, remains in us and we cannot sin because we have been born of God. So it's important that we understand what it means to be born of God because someone who has been truly born of God does not sin. And we've learned that it is very important that we do not sin. Eternal life. Well, we're going to learn some more. Thou shalt and thou shalt not are ten promises secured to us if we render obedience to the law governing the universe. Have you ever thought of the Ten Commandments as ten promises? They are. If we obey them. If we don't, what are they? Yeah. That law of ten precepts of the, of the greatest love that can be presented to man is the voice of God from heaven speaking to the soul in promise. This do, and you will not come under the dominion and control of Satan. There is not a negative in that law, although it may appear thus. It is what? Do and live. But notice here that obedience is not a mere outward compliance, but the service of love. The service of love is obedience 100% all the time. The law of God is an expression of its very nature. It is an embodiment of the great principle of love, and hence is the foundation of his government in heaven and earth. If our hearts are renewed in the likeness of God, if the divine love is implanted in the soul, will not the law of God be carried out in the life? When the principle of love is implanted in the heart, when man is renewed after the image of him that created him, the new covenant promise is fulfilled. Obedience. Imagine that. The new covenant promise is obedience, perfect obedience. Obedience, the service and allegiance of love, is the true sign of discipleship. 
Okay, so what are the conditions for eternal life? And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted Christ, saying, Master, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Good question, right? Good question. So Jesus said unto him, You're a lawyer. You've read the law. What's written there? How readest thou? And the guy goes, uh-oh, I think he's going to get me on this, but I'm going to have to answer it correctly. And the lawyer said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And Christ said unto him, thou hast answered right. You see, you didn't need to answer me, ask me the question. You knew the answer yourself. So why would you bother asking me? Then Christ added this. This do, and thou shalt live. Just knowing. The lawyer knew. But just knowing does how much good? None. You have to do in order to have eternal life. Ah, very well. Faith without works is dead. Here the false doctrine that man has nothing to do but believe is swept away. You can go hear sermons at almost any church, whether on Sabbath or on Sunday, probably doesn't matter, or any other day. And one of the big things that's presented is just believe, just believe, just believe. In fact, a recent a sermon for a person who had died, the preacher said that this person, when he visited him in the hospital before they died, the person raised their thumb or the finger of their hand, and from that, he concluded that they believed. And from that, he concluded that they were, going, they were in heaven as soon as they died. So it's a very popular, even though it's a false doctrine, it's a lie. Eternal life is given to us on the condition of what? That we obey the commandments of God. The condition of eternal life is now just what it always has been. Just what it was in paradise before the fall of our first parents. Perfect obedience to the law of God. Perfect righteousness. If eternal life were granted on any condition short of this, then the happiness of the whole universe would be imperiled. The way would be open for sin with all its train of woe and misery to be immortalized. It's always been... Obey and live. Perfect obedience. It hasn't changed. It's still required. When Adam was created, he was fully capable of rendering perfect obedience, but he failed to do that. And we're going to learn more about that. Is it possible for us to meet the conditions of eternal life? But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. 
For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. In heaven, what covenant do they have there? Do they need a Savior? Do the angels that are in heaven need a Savior, a Redeemer? I see some shaking their heads no. Do they need a Redeemer? Do they need a Savior? Oh, I'm blocking my... <laughs> sorry. Keep my hands behind my back. Um, they, why not? do they not need a Savior? They've always believed. They've always kept the commandments. They've always obeyed and lived. Why is it that they can obey and live and we do not seem to be successful at doing that. They don't take their eyes off of God. Okay, they don't take their eyes off of God. Anyone else want to? The angels in heaven. Why is it that they can perfectly obey God's commandments? Huh? Okay. Good, 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 good. That's the key thing. The angels in heaven have never fallen. They've never sinned. Therefore, they have an unfallen nature, just like Adam had when he was created. When he was first there in the Garden of Eden, Adam, like the angels, could have developed perfect character he didn't need a savior it's only because we've sinned that we need a savior but the conditions for eternal life haven't changed the conditions are the same obey and live so the angels are still obeying and living all the inhabitants of other worlds and throughout the universe are obeying and living they do not need a savior. They haven't sinned. A little louder. I'm sorry. I don't hear so good. What about the other third of the angels? Did they obey and live? They failed to do that, just like Adam did, right? Like we did. Just like, yeah, we're the descendants of Adam. We have Adam's fallen nature, and we failed to obey and live. We, exactly, we choose to sin, just like Adam and Eve did, just like the angels who got cast out of heaven, just like Lucifer. We choose, they all chose to sin, but they didn't have to. They had the power within them because they did not have a fallen nature at that point. They could have obeyed and lived. And we're going to see that here. Yes, <laughs> We're going to get to that. And I might as well touch on it briefly right here. There is a difference between us and the fallen angels. They sinned in the full light of God's glory and the full knowledge of God's love. He revealed it to them 
completely and explicitly. He called a council. You can read about it. There was nothing more God could do for them except cast them out of heaven. Now, Adam was in a different position. He was under the same covenant. He was under the same conditions that the angels had been, obey and live, but he was created and he hadn't had a full knowledge of God's love. He had some interaction with God, but God's love hadn't been fully revealed to him. He didn't understand, but he had enough. He had enough information that he could have resisted the temptation of Satan. All he needed to do was say, I believe and trust God. I don't know you. Who are you? Get lost. And that's what he was counseled by the good angels. And Christ himself apparently came and talked to him from what we understand in the spirit of prophecy. Adam could have resisted. Eve could have resisted, but they failed to do so. But the difference between them and the angels who fell is that they didn't understand and fully. And so what happened at that point? The new covenant. Christ stepped in and he says, you failed, but I'm going to reveal my love to you. I'm going to show you just how much God loves you. And that's where we get the verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God said, I'm not going to let it go at this. I'm going to put myself on the line. I'm going to risk all of heaven. I'm going to risk everything on these rebellious humans who refuse to believe me. And to show that it's possible for these rebellious humans to be accepted back into my love and become loyal, obedient servants again, he said, I'm going to go and do what Adam failed to do. Not only am I going to do, go and do what Adam failed to do, but I'm going to come after 4,000 years of sin and take the fallen nature of man after 4,000 years of sin. And I'm going to do it with that fallen nature that Adam didn't have. That Adam had a nature where he was perfectly able to obey and live. Christ came with a nature that according to everything that we know and understand should have doomed him to not making it. So how did he do it? How did it, was it that Christ did what we can't seem to do? No one else has been able to do. Perfect obedience. How did he manage to give perfect obedience? Because you and I haven't been able to do that, have we? And, and Christ came and did it with the same fallen nature that you and I have. You and I, with our fallen nature, do not render perfect obedience, do we? No, we do not. We do not render perfect obedience. 
But Christ did. How was it that he did it? This is the key. Say a little louder for me, please. He was always talking to his father. That's good. Okay. Complete surrender. Good, good. All. What, Al? Well, that would be an that would be an advantage that we don't have. He did it the same way we have to do. How did he do it? Here's how he did it. He was, have you heard of that promise? Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these we might be partaker of the divine nature. That by these promises we might be a partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through us. Christ did it by being a partaker of his Father's nature. His Father's divine nature enabled him to overcome and suppress and not give in to his fallen human nature that he took upon himself to save us. And because Christ did that and endured everything that Satan could throw at him, and if you read this story, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you read what Christ was put through, he was, there's no way that we can be put through worse than what he was done. Christ did it by being a partaker of his Father's divine nature, and it's absolutely essential that we do the same. How is it that we do that? How is it that we can have God's laws placed in our mind, written in our hearts, so that he will be to us a God, a Father, and they shall be, and we can be his people? The terms of the old covenant were obey and live. If a man do, he shall even live in them. But cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them. The new covenant was established upon better promises, the promise of forgiveness of sins and of the grace of God to renew the heart and bring it into harmony with the principles of God's law. More than this, Christ changes the heart. He abides in your heart by faith. You are to maintain this connection with Christ by faith and the continual surrender of your will to him. And so long as you do this, he will work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Then with Christ working in you, you will manifest the same spirit and do the same good works, works of righteousness, obedience. So how was it that David described this new covenant? I delight. Was David, by the way, was David under the old covenant or the new covenant? He was, 
he was looking forward to the new covenant by faith because Christ hadn't come yet, right? But was he saved in any way different than what we're saved? No. David, it always has been this. And by the way, it will be this again in heaven when we get there. It will still be obey and live. That's the rule of the universe. It's God's love, obey and live. The only difference will be is that we will be given a new nature and a new body and a new mind. And obeying and living will be no more difficult for us at that point than it was or could have been for Adam and Eve or the angels or the other uh, worlds throughout the universe. So David said, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. So even though he was supposedly at that time under the old covenant, some people will try to tell you that, in reality, he was already experiencing what the new covenant was. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Under the new covenant, the conditions by which eternal life may be gained are the same as under the old. What? Perfect obedience. It's been required from day one and will always be required. Perfect obedience. In the new and better covenant, here's, pay close attention, in the new and better covenant, Christ has fulfilled the law for the transgressors of law. If they receive him by faith as a personal savior in the better covenant, we are cleansed from sin by the blood of Christ. Christ did what we couldn't do, and he becomes our righteousness. Have you heard the term Christ our righteousness? That means that he is our righteousness in place of that which we haven't been. We've been disobedient to God's law. He becomes our righteousness for our past sins. That's how he can forgive us. He covers us with his blood, with his death on the cross. And then we become a partaker of his divine nature, the same nature in which he overcame sin, he gives to us. That's how we can live without sinning, without transgressing God's law, without being a liar. We have to claim the promises. We have to resist temptation. In the new and better covenant, Christ has filled the law for the transgressors of law. If they receive him by faith as a personal savior. Is it possible for me to have the new covenant experience? Satan had claimed that it was impossible for man to obey God's commandments. And in our own strength, it is true that we cannot obey them. If we aren't a partaker of the divine nature, we will fail. But Christ came in the form of humanity, and by his perfect obedience, he proved that humanity and divinity combined can obey every one of God's precepts. There's the key. Humanity plus divinity, a partaker of the divine nature, Christ in you, the hope of glory, that's the only way that you and I can obey perfectly all God's commandments. And perfect obedience of all God's commandments is the only way any of us are ever going to see the streets of glory. 
by his perfect obedience, he has made it possible for every human being to obey God's commandments. When we submit ourselves to Christ, the heart is united with his heart. The will is merged in his will. The mind becomes one with his mind. The thoughts are brought into captivity to him. We live his life. This is what it means to be clothed with the garment of his righteousness. So the idea that we need an umbrella of forgiveness, and I've heard this preached, that idea for ongoing sinning in our lives is unnecessary. Christ doesn't just keep forgiving us. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Check 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't just forgive us. He cleanses us. But we've got to be willing. We've got to surrender. And finally, Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself and his church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. If you want to know why Christ hasn't come yet, go look in a mirror. Go look in a mirror. He's waiting for his character to be perfectly reproduced in each of us. Then he will come to claim us as his own. He's not going to take, come and take home to heaven a bunch of sinners. He needs a group of people called 144,000 who quit sinning. Until he gets them, he's going to be delaying his coming. So I would highly, highly recommend that we pay very close attention to what these verses and, and, and that we apply them to our lives this morning. Let's bow and have prayer together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this time we spent together. If we have in any way not understood or something, please reveal it to us. But it seems pretty clear and plain that perfect obedience is the only condition for salvation for you taking us to heaven. That we need to have your character perfectly reproduced in us. And we just want that to happen this morning. That everyone here clearly understands and is willing to make that choice of a prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Standing on the Platform of Truth Pioneer Health and Missions